Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Raj Real Estate Investing Podcast with your hosts, Austin Ye and... And Mayu for the second time today, guys, because Austin forgot to record. The this is day. not my fault. I'm usually yeah. never responsible for recording. Have <laughs> you been responsible for recording for like the last month? Now? The last... No, no. The last like three episodes, three or four episodes. Yeah. And I, how many times did I mess up? <laughs> I messed up half of those times. So a lesson should have been learned. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, man. What's going on with you? I know, uh, I know you we already we stuff. already went into it, but for I guess I'll just chime into the audience. But I was in a this is a very passionate, sensitive topic to me. But uh, I am very furiated because infuriated, furiated, infuriated. English is not my uh, go to subject, but I was I was pissed off because I got an appraisal back on a property. So we bought this property on private money. And we were looking to transfer it over to our credit union now, right? So like with with a regular lender, traditional lender. And what we realized is, is that we got screwed over in our appraisal by 60K. This is the only appraiser that had time to work with us. I, I spent the entire day calling appraisers. And uh, a lot of the reasons didn't really make sense. So it, it, we got we came back at 240. We wanted 300. And I know you don't always get what you want, but this was like substantially off. And I asked Desjardins for the uh, the report and Desjardins able to send it to their client. So I was taking a look through it and the, the appraiser was definitely out of pocket with a lot of his um, comps. For one, we have a legal duplex. He comped it against an illegal duplex, an illegal duplex, which we all should know, like any competent investor, realtor, someone who has common sense would know that a duplex that is double the square feet. It's, it's literally double the square feet of a single family home should be worth more than that single family home. Um, yeah. and, and his reason, and when I called that out, his reasoning behind it is, is that, oh, I spoke to a realtor there, which I really don't know if he did. They said that the single family with an illegal unit should be more valuable because it's, it's easier for a family to live in or something. And I was just like, okay. I think as investors, we value the new duplex more, but I can kind of see what he's saying. I don't think it should be I see what he's more. saying, but it's not true. Right? Yeah. Like ultimately, like it, it's not true. He's yeah. he's reaching. Um and and oh I don't think he realized there's an illegal duplex. I think he just had to cover his ass and not seem <laughs> stupid, right? So it is what it is. Um and what else? So on this city, there's two there's two areas. There's one on one side of the bridge and another on another side of the bridge. We're on the good side of the bridge. That is like a three or four minute walk to a hospital, right? So great area. Um, and he comped it to properties that were on the other side of the bridge that was not as as a great area. And I call that out, basically saying our area is more superior. And just to layer on top of that, I had also pulled all of the data, single fat, not single, all properties that sold within 180 days within a five minute walk from our subject property. Everything was within a five minute walk, all of the properties. There were nine transaction, average home price was 310K, all single family homes, because there's not really much duplexes selling here. Highest price was 500K, lowest price was 213K for like an 800 square feet, crappy property, two bedroom, one bath, 213K, and it was crappy condition too, right? And ours appraised for 240. 
So uh, there's obviously something that didn't make sense there. And I called that out as well. And he basically rebuttaled by saying, Austin, why don't you just do the appraisal yourself? I'll give you a blank form. You fill it out. You give it to me and sign it. He was pissed. Right. And I was like, okay, like this guy, like there's no hope in me trying to bring up the appraisal at this point. Right. So, yeah, I mean, there was a bit of back and forth as, as to what made sense. Um, and he, he basically said that, I don't know, like he, he, he was just like, oh, if I appraise this thing 80K higher than what you were looking for, would you have said anything? I was like, what does this have to do with the conversation? This has nothing to do with anything. I'm, I'm just picking facts, rational data, and you're just not rebuttaling anything. But nonetheless, yeah. what we're going to do is we're probably going to finance it anyways with this appraisal and work on getting another appraisal report to try to get it in time. In the- yeah, that, so, that's me. That's me. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you do that first refinance with Desjardins, are you then going to go back to Desjardins again in like three months and refinance it again? Or are you guys... At 240, are you still pulling out what you need to pull out? No, we're not pulling out what we need to pull out. There's going to be some money tied in there, right? So, and I'm not happy with that, especially given that, like, this is worse than worse. This is like just, this could have been avoided, but not really at the same time. It's just, it's it's on the onus of the appraiser, right? So we're going to do that. We're going to get another appraisal. I know banks hold the appraisal down for three to six months, like they, or three months, they still consider it valid. So hoping to refinance in three months if we get a higher appraisal. Cool. All right, man. So I'm I'm gonna keep my part short. I think I, initially the first time we did it, we had a long preamble, but I gotta I gotta jump out of call soon anyway. So um, the one thing I'm gonna say right now is I'm actually looking because I, I just realized it'd be a good thing to bring up here. But I'm actually looking for ghostwriters, right? To to kind of I've got like all these like blog topics and things like that in my head that like I I keep writing down and thinking I'm gonna like write these like crazy long blog posts, but it takes me forever. So I'm looking to hire a ghostwriter. If anyone that listens to this podcast is a ghostwriter or interested in writing about real estate and financing related topics, shoot me a DM on Instagram and let's hop on a call. Um, other than that, Austin, why don't we uh, introduce everyone to Adam Shoji? Yeah. So Adam Shoji, he's a new real estate investor. He's been in the game less than a year, but has a super inspirational story and something that a lot of newer investors can relate to. If you don't come from a real estate background, you're going to relate to this guy because he came from the music industry, like didn't know the numbers portion or rental portion, anything really. And he was able to pick pick up on, on all of that stuff and ended up buying his first property. So this is all about really diving down on what it takes to be a new investor, the struggles of a new investor, and the steps and procedures you need to take to overcome your obstacle. Um, I know that you guys would absolutely enjoy this episode. Even if you're an experienced investor, you'll still relate to or reminisce back in the day on how it was getting started in investing. And before we get started, if you like the podcast, like, subscribe, comment, do whatever you can to support it. Leave it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts because we want to hit 100 reviews by the end of the year. And without further ado, we're going to jump into the podcast episode with Adam. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Adam Soji. Adam, how's it going, man? Hey guys, I'm I'm doing well, thank you. How are you guys doing? Doing good, man. Doing good, Adam. So so myself and Austin know you pretty well um, through a couple of different things at this point. But you know, why don't you tell our guests or our listeners <laughs> a little bit about you and how you kind of got started and and what you were actually you know what what you were doing before you got into real estate? Because I think um, you have a yeah. pretty interesting background that uh, I think you're the only person I know within this industry that you're going to get into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, so. Um, before I got started in real estate, I was and still am uh, working in the live music industry uh, as a tour manager and also uh, playing in a band as a musician. 
Um, so pretty much, um, I, I started out touring in my own band and, uh, you know, kind of grinding it out, uh, sleeping in a van and Walmart parking lots, touring the U S and, and around the world, you know? Um, and then we kind of, I kind of got to a point where I feel like I, I reached a plateau in what we were doing and, uh, sort of pivoted into tour management. And because I had been tour managing my own band just to like save money, skills kind of came naturally to me. And, uh, from there I was able to start, you know, uh, working on some, some bigger tours and doing, uh, shows at a much bigger scale. Um, so pretty much right before, um, right before COVID, I, I got a new job working for another artist. Um, Are and you I able to give names? My... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I work, I work for a, a pop artist called black bear. Yeah. Um, and so I had kind of just got thrown into that tour right before that that got that job was um i was working for this band called neck deep and we were on tour with uh i don't want to name drop too much uh <laughs> but but basically uh we were on tour and um and he just said a uh, buddy of mine who's a photographer for neck deep also was working with black bear and he just said hey uh, i think black bear needs a tour manager do you want me to put your name in the mix and i was like yeah absolutely and kind of jumped on a call with management. And then uh, he said, all right, six days later, I got on a plane to Norway and, and just jumped, kind of got thrown into it. And that tour was an absolute disaster, but, you know, made it through uh, with pretty much no preparation whatsoever. And from there, uh, they offered me the gig full time. So we had, uh, we had a pretty big year planned out for 2020. I was going to be on the road for pretty much the whole year. And I was also going to be making more money than I had ever seen in my life, honestly. Um, and the plan from that was going to be, you know, buy a, a single family home in Toronto and settle down uh, a primary residence. Uh, that was my, that was my goal. But then when COVID happened, pretty much it had one week of work and we we're just gearing up to start tour in April from pretty much April till the end of the year. And just like everything shut down, it was mm. just completely lost everyone in the music industry lost their jobs for the most part yeah um and that kind of just left me like completely and utterly like i had no idea what i was going to do I, I was just like oh my god what the hell am i going to do now basically mm -hmm. um so you just got much... this job right like and you're like oh i'm yeah. set and then now it's it's taken away from you exactly exactly yeah and and i kind of spent a lot of time feeling sorry for myself for a little while there i didn't know what i was going to do um, I, uh, I was like, what, the, what am I going to do now? So luckily, luckily I had, you know, a decent amount of savings that I could, could live off of for the time being, but I didn't know what I was going to do. And I, I started dabbling in stocks a little bit because, you know, my uncle, obviously with the stock market crashing, I had my money in mutual funds and, and I started freaking out when I saw it, it tanking right when the market crashed. And I was like, oh my God, what am, what's happening? I'm just losing money. And I was not financially literate whatsoever. But, uh, but yeah, from there, I, uh, I kind of used that as, as kind of a way to sort of try and start learning stocks and uh, lost a lot of money doing that. <laughs> when were you buying? At uh, what period? I was buying, I was buying in small increments. Like, uh, I think I bought like $5,000 of the CIBC stock when it was at like $85 a share. Mm -hmm. And like looking back, I'm like, well, I should have just piled all my money into that. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no. I, so I was buying, you know, little bits here and there. I talked to my uncle, who's a financial advisor, and he gave me some good tips. But I was kind of too scared to go full in on it, and I sort of missed that window of opportunity once the market had started to bounce back. And then, you know, I was just kind of 
I was just speculating essentially. And, you know, when you speculate, you're gambling. And so, yeah, I lost a decent amount of money and ended up making most of it back based on speculative bets in the, in the stock market. But I was just like, once I made it back, I was just like, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing right now. Like this, I kind of in over my head and I feel like, you know, it, it really goes to show that the risk that is involved when you are trying to invest, but you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah, and I, I don't. I don't think. St- uh, I guess like trading stocks is probably the best way to have income if that's your only income source. And let's say you have less no. than six figures saved up. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's probably pretty risky because right? you you need to live oh, off yeah. of that money as well. Yeah, it was it was stupid. It was stupid, but I learned a lot from it, and I learned my risk tolerance a little bit more. Um, but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I got started there, and then how I got started in real estate. I would have been. I, I swear to God, uh, it's it's because of you. I was scrolling the stocks app every morning. I would just wake up on my phone and scroll the stocks app, and there's always these little news articles at the bottom of it. And that your Toronto Life article was on there, and it was like, uh, how, "Here's how I'm 25 I'm years old." I'm the biggest smiler right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not to play your ego too much here, but, <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was reading it and I was like, "25 years old. I own 25 rental properties." And I was like, "How the f- sorry? Can I swear?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, how the fuck did this guy do this? Like, if, if he could do this, then I could do it. And I was reading an article how you had like 40K and then, you know, you just bought a single family, burned it and leveled up. And I didn't know what any of that stuff meant mm-hmm. at the time, but that was what like caught my attention. And I was like, okay, wow, this makes more sense to me. I need to start learning more about this. And it just kind of snowballed from there. That's awesome, man. So, um, a lot of people would have saw that article and be like, oh, just fuck off. Well, most people didn't see the article and was like that, but <laughs> clearly we see an example of someone who's taken action. So that's, that's amazing. That was October, November, 2020. Where do you go from there? Cause like, okay, you read the article, like Austin was just, just saying like 99% of the people read the article and they go, oh shit, like he got lucky, whatever. And then you just kind of leave it at that and just move on with your day. Right. So, and it's especially people in a rock and uh, rock in a hard place where, you know, like someone who has lost their job, I don't think they would see too favorably in an article like that. So, so props to you. Because you're saying that too, I, I swear, because I, I follow so many people in the music industry and there were just so many people in this negative mindset that's just like, oh, when is this going to end? Like, when are things going to go back to normal? Just kind of feeling sorry for themselves. And honestly, I was sort of in that place for a little bit, but I, I saw that and I was literally like, damn, like if this kid can do this with 40 grand, then I could do this for sure. And so from there, I started educating myself. I started listening to the Rise podcast. I started, you know, picking up bits from other podcasts here and there, you know, Bigger Pockets was a big one for me. And reading books, it was was big as well. I started reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the book on investing in rental properties and just educating myself. But from there, I feel like there's just so much information out there that it's kind of overwhelming a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really, I, I was getting a little bit overwhelmed. I was just like, oh, there's so many different ways I could do Airbnb or I could do the, the birth strategy or I could make money house flipping or I could, you know, there's so many different ways I could do house hacking, you know? And I was having trouble. I, I kind of had shiny object syndrome. I was just like chasing every little thing. And I didn't really know where to go from there. So from there, I actually, I realized I, I followed a lot of different investors that you guys had recommended and people in the, in the Ontario real estate community. And they noticed a lot of the, a lot of the people I was following were coached by Corey McKinnon, 
And I knew nothing about Corey McKinnon, but I just said, I, I think it was uh, Alvin Wong I had a conversation with and, and he reached out to me um, back in November, I think, or maybe December. And he was just like, man, like, cause he started coaching with no properties. And, and I kind of had the mindset that I was like, I shouldn't be hiring a coach. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I have no properties, but, but I think a lot of the advice that I, I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I think the advice that a lot of people were giving for new investors that have limited capital or just starting out is spend 10 grand on a coach and get coaching. Like, cause I think so many people don't know where to start. And I think a lot of people view that as, as $10,000 expense or, or whatever, whatever the cost is. And they're not realizing that it's an investment in yourself and how you can leverage that to accelerate your growth. So, so I reached out to Corey and discovery call, and I kind of jumped into the coaching program, right, right off the hop with no experience whatsoever. And that's kind of how I got to. What's the timeline like, right? So you read the article November-ish and then, you know, you spent November, December, I think it sounds like you like, got connected with some other investors and you were like networking and stuff like that while, while digesting bigger pockets, podcasts, rise podcasts, a couple other like online, like kind of influencers and stuff like that. Um, how long were you doing that for before you jumped into a coaching program? Uh, probably about, I would say two months or so. I think, um, I really started getting obsessed with real estate and in, in right at the beginning of November in 2020. And I was just constantly consuming, constantly learning, you know, podcasts, audiobooks, YouTube videos for about, I would say about maybe a month and a half to two months until I decided to pull the trigger on coaching. And I just, I was just like, I got to do this now. Cause every day that I wait is, is opportunity cost, right? I'm, I'm losing opportunities to get into the market now. Um, so it took about two months there and I, I started the program in January of this year. That's honestly not bad. Cause I mean, like I, I talked to so many people that would be like just researching, watching YouTube videos, Googling, like just look, honestly, just looking at realtor.ca. If you look at like 10 different markets, you can spend like a day on every single market and you can spend like 10 weeks just goes by. Right. So two months, honestly, isn't bad, but, um, so, so what'd you do after that? So you join a coaching program. I'm sure it doesn't really like, that doesn't really solve anything, right? <laughs> you get a coach, but now what do you do? <laughs> No, uh, just to go back a little bit to what you're saying is I think for me, I think one thing that I had on, on my side or that I was working in my advantage was I was unemployed. I didn't have a job. So I had so much time on my hand. So I was just basically consuming and educating myself on real estate, like a 24 seven pretty much or not 24 seven, but like, as if I was, as if it was my job essentially. So I think that is maybe why I kind of jumped right into it. And, and I saw this time off as an opportunity to, to learn a new skill and, and learn about real estate as opposed to just sitting around feeling sorry for myself, waiting for the grass to grow and, and COVID to end basically. Um, but, but to go back to your question from there, uh, so January was when I started um, in Corey's program and uh, we did a lot of from there, like the next month or two is a lot of focus on mindset and and really um kind of training training my mind him and riley training my mindset to be in the right place and so i spent a lot of time just working on personal development and i realized that a lot of this stuff that i was learning it kind of translate into every aspect of life and not just real estate so let me stop um, you there for for a quick sorry. minute um so i want to talk a bit about that that mindset as a new investor right because we we tend to skim over this um, but now that we do have someone who's just recently purchased their first property, a couple months ago, 
um, what what were your thoughts? Like, not what were your thoughts? What was going in your mind, like limiting beliefs or, or things that hindered you from getting into the market? Now, since we're speaking about that topic. And I guess what oh. I guess another way of looking at it is what did you work on the most in like that yeah. first month? Mm-hmm. In that first month, yeah, that was so January. Yeah. Well, well, one of the big things that hindered me, I think, was I think my surroundings. None of my friends were doing this, and none, of, no one seemed to think it was possible. When I had started educating myself more, and, and I remember I, I sat down at, at the dinner table with with my dad and my stepmom, and I said. Yeah, I'm gonna start investing in real estate, and I'm I'm gonna be retired by the time I'm 40. And my stepmom literally laughed in my face. She's just like, "Yeah, okay, Adam. Everyone everyone wants to be rich. Yeah, okay, good luck with that." And I was just like, "No, it's I'm I'm going to just so you know." Um, and you know, from from that moment, they got a lot more supportive, obviously. But it's just like that's like what's ingrained in their minds, right? And that's the mindset that is being projected on me too. And that's the mindset that I kind of had before too, is like, well, it's, it's kind of shifting your, your mindset from, I can't afford that. Like, Oh, I, I have so many friends that are like thinking about want to wish they could buy houses in Toronto. And they're like, Oh yeah, that would be incredible, but that'll never happen. And it's just like, well, when you think like that, then yeah, you're never going to be able to afford it. If you feel like you can't, if you think you can't afford it, but once you start to think about instead of instead of saying i can't afford it and switching your mindset to how can i afford that then you can kind of reverse engineer everything back into place kind of and figure out the steps you need to take to achieve that goal even now like i think like a week or two ago i can't remember who i was talking about i was just like look guys like i'm just gonna work hard for the next like five years i'm just gonna make as much money as i can and then i'm I'm done like i'm just like that's the entire objective right just make as much money as you can now and then you in theory don't have to work again later and they're just like Hit my ass right <laughs> and it's like yeah sure like if you come from a mentality where like you're on a salary job you get a slow consistent pay increase right um and you give into the lifestyle erosion part of it right as your salary keeps going up you'll have to keep working and it is what it is right but i think as you surround yourself with other investors and people that are just doing like big shit right you just go oh like anything's like possible like none of us are any different from each other right just like different circumstances, yeah. different times. And like, it's just all hard work. Right? And you just got to ask the right questions, right? Like that, that's definitely true. Like when you surround yourself with people who are not into it, they will shut you down immediately. Like someone like exact prime examples, like I can't afford a place in Toronto. If you ask yourself, how could I afford a place in Toronto? You start talking to people who have afforded a place in Toronto. It's like, what, like, where do you work? What industry do I like? Where do I need to work to get to, to be able to afford a place? Like, oh, I don't work. I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, shit. Like, how did you get in your business? Right. Like, you start opening your mind and start actually solving for the problem. Imagine like someone gets murdered and you're like, oh, I'm not like, we don't know who did it. That's it. Right. No. <laughs> Investigators ask the right question, dig back and then figure out like a solution to the case. That That's exactly what it is with anything like outside of just like real estate. So definitely see how it's applicable in other places. Um, in life as well. So, um, so, so mindset obviously was a big thing that you were focusing on. And what was your game plan after that? So you got the mindset down, you read the books you needed to, you started talking to other investors within the industry. What was the next step? Was it like finding a, a real estate market? Like where, where are you going from here? Yeah. So it's uh, so the next step. Once we kind of started getting into the actual fundamentals of, of, you know, actual real estate investing and, and we, we had kind of gone through the mindset stuff. It was pick a strategy, pick it, pick an investing strategy. And what seemed to make the most sense for me, because I had no active income at the time, was to start looking at wholesaling. Um, because you can't have a real estate deal without the deal. And 
finding off-market properties is the best place to look for good deals. I mean, yes, there are deals out there on the MLS. You can find deals anywhere. But, you know, if you're looking to consistently find undervalued properties, looking off-market is is arguably the place to do it, right? And so while I was kind of going into that strategy, that wasn't what I really wanted to do at first, but I, I understood the importance of it. And, you know, because I had no sales background. So I was like, wholesaling is, is essentially a sales job. And I have no experience with sales. I don't pitch to people. I don't do that. But this is a skill that I can learn. And so I'm going to start doing this because this is what's going to make me a better investor in the long term. And so I started learning how to wholesale deals and how to find how to find leads off market, how to negotiate with sellers and how to close deals, basically. So that's sort of what the next steps were from there. Um, I started doing, you know, first thing I did was I drove up to Sudbury four hours and did uh, driving for dollars for, you know, the whole three days. I just drove every neighborhood. I know that city inside and out at this point because I was, you know, dropping off mailers and houses that looked that were completely falling apart. I had tenants running out, screaming at me, telling me to get off their property. And, and, you know, it was, it was not a fun experience, but I'm glad I did it because I know what it's like now, you know, but it's what you have to do when you're starting out and you don't have a lot of, if you don't have a lot of capital and you know, you want to get into real estate, this is a great way to do it, you know, is, is find deals and, and, and provide value for other investors and, and make some, make some cash. And then in the meantime, you know, yeah, absolutely. That's actually a fantastic strategy to get started off. And yeah, I mean, you hustled. You went four hours up north. Why did you start with Sudbury when you were wholesaling? Why not just do something local? Yeah, sorry. I kind of skipped over that whole thing. So so when I was trying to decide, decide on what market to invest in, um, I initially started looking in Guelph and KWC. And I was looking at Windsor at first. I was looking at Hamilton. I was looking at St. Catharines, Niagara. Um, I was kind of all over the place. And one of the big things having a coach help me with was, was focusing on just one market. It wasn't like there's no right answer for what market to start in. Because if you're an expert in that market, you're going to do well. What you really need to do is just pick one and focus on becoming an expert there and, and building power teams there. And so... When I was analyzing markets and, you know, Sudbury has strong fundamentals. And one of the biggest things for me was low vacancy and, and the price to rent ratio was, was so much better than any of the other markets I was looking in. Um, and this was back my, this was back in January before it kind of skyrocketed. But um, yeah, so I just was like, oh my God, like I'm looking at my house that I'm renting right now is probably worth $1.4 million and, and I'm paying between three guys, it's it's thirty four hundred dollars a month in rent. Whereas in Sudbury, I could get a property for less than two hundred k, and it's gonna rent for over two grand a month. Like it's insane to me. It's like why why would I ever buy a property in Toronto as an investment if I could do that there? You know. And so I went the cash flow route, and that's why I decided to invest in Sudbury. And uh, yeah, I was four hours away, but based on how much capital I had, it just made more sense for me. I think people are like coming around and they're understanding it now, right? But like when I first got started in Windsor, I was kind of like, why the heck are people paying like $1,800 for like a single family house out in Windsor when like a three bedroom house in Toronto, like the main floor, I guess, but still like that only goes for like $2,000, right? So it all comes down to like, what's the affordability and for better or for worse, for like most of our tenants are all kind of like minimum wage earners or like there's a certain like tenant profile that's associated with those tenants, right? And 
the way the liberal government, I guess, back in 2015 or 16 or whatever that year was, when they increased minimum wages to $15 an hour, that happens all across Ontario, right? So minimum wage earners earn the exact same thing, regardless of where they are in Ontario. And as a result, what you find is that rent prices plus or minus like 200 bucks, maybe for like most cities is all going to be relatively the same, but these purchase prices are completely different, right? So that seems like a good realization that you had there. Um, so, so once you decided on Sudbury, um, you went out there, you were, you were driving for dollars. I don't think we ever mentioned what driving for dollars is. Oh. I don't, in any of our ever podcasts, most wholesalers are just doing flyers. Can we elaborate on what driving for dollars is and what was the method <laughs> to, to get deals that way? Yeah, for sure. So uh, driving for dollars is, is pretty much what it sounds like. You're literally driving every street <laughs> in a neighborhood. You basically just pick a neighborhood and then you literally drive in your car and, and look for houses that are potentially problem houses or, or distressed, um, I guess is, is the right term to use. So what I would look for are things like, you know, overgrown landscaping, if the aluminum work, if the eaves troughs are falling off, if the windows are broken, if the windows are boarded up, if it looks like the door has been kicked in, if there's spray paint on the side of the house, if there's like a ton of junk in the front yard, if there's broken cars in the front yard, I will kind of have a point system there. And every single one of those things is a point. And I would basically rate houses on, you know, ABC, A being like 10 points, which is like, absolute crack house completely falling apart that's what i'm trying to target there and then kind of go down from there to the b properties that are like you know the doors it needs work the eaves troughs are falling off but not crazy or there's garbage in the front lawn kind of thing and then to the c properties and then what i would do is i would write down all these properties and i would keep a list and write down all the addresses and then when i got home I would pretty much send direct mail to these houses as opposed to doing a, a mailer campaign. It was like, I would go to Canada Post and buy 500 stamps and send out 500 letters to each house individually in an envelope that's handwritten to that, those houses. So a lot more targeted, which is great, right? So your response rate, your success rate is going to be higher than a mailer campaign. And it's going to be ultimately all in all cheaper, but a lot more work intensive, right? But you were... You were unemployed at that time, so you were trading in that sweat equity, right, and hustle to, to learn these skill sets. Exactly, it's a sniper approach. Whereas the 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 mailer campaigns, or when you just spray five thousand mailers in a neighborhood, is more of a shotgun approach, right? You're just spraying every every house in the neighborhood, knowing that like ninety nine percent of those people are not even going to bat an eye at that. Yeah, and. Uh, how did that wholesaling business go? I know that, I guess we can get into an example. You wholesaled myself a deal or you tried, we tried to partner up and wholesale a deal that wasn't successful. So Will and I just bought it from you. Um, was there any other success or we can just dive into that example if you'd like? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we talk about that one? That was, uh, that was a Sturgeon Falls deal, right? That was, um, that was a pretty good one, I thought, but uh, we weren't able to move it. Um, that, that deal actually came from a GG ad. That wasn't even a mailer. Um, so, I mean, I learned a lot going through that process. That was actually my first deal. Um, I got a message on Kijiji. I, I, every morning I would post an ad on Kijiji just saying wanted house for sale by owner. Um, and one that said wanted duplex, triplex, fourplex. And, um, I got a message from, from the seller and he said, Hey, I'm, I'm looking to sell ASAP basically. And I said, all right, I'll meet you up there and then we can talk about it. And, uh, kind of went through and negotiated in person and, and try to really understand 
the reason and the motivation behind why he was selling. And basically when we got down to it, he traveled for work a lot. He picked up this property in 2018 as an investment, but he was kind of in over his head. And I mean, you saw the property, Austin, it was, it was in rough shape. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the front unit was tenanted. The back unit was vacant. Thank God. Cause I think whatever tenants were in there would not have been fun to deal with. But I mean, it was a big property and big lot in, in a little town called Sturgeon Falls, which is like half an hour from North Bay. It's right in between Sudbury and North Bay, like an hour from Sudbury, half an hour from North Bay. And um, it wasn't really giving me much at first, but I kind of kept digging in and, and trying to figure out exactly why he was selling it. And it just seemed like, you know, the state of it, he wanted to renovate it, but it needed way too much money and that, and he could not afford the renovations to keep it running. I mean, he gave me the expenses and his gas bill was over $400 a month. And I was like, how is that even possible? You're, you're paying over $400 a month in gas. I can let you get into why that was the case, <laughs> but, what but like, <laughs> what happened? How do you have a $400 gas bill? Yeah. I think the furnace is just very old and the tenant, one of the tenants control it. Like there's only one thermostat the and she has full control of it and she can do whatever she wants. And I guess she just blasts it high. Right. So like, yeah, <laughs> there, there was also there was also no insulation, and there's no <laughs> the insulation as well. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it was brutal. But anyways, um, uh, we worked it out, negotiated a, a price. Uh, we locked it up for I locked it up for one forty seven, um, which is the mind you, that's the same price he paid for it in twenty eighteen. Exact same price he paid for it in in twenty eighteen. Yeah, exactly. So I locked that up for 147. And when I was running the numbers and looking at the comps, I was like, this should be easily 160. And so I was going to try and wholesale it myself, but I, I just didn't have a big buyer's list and I didn't really want to risk it. I, I thought about closing on it myself at first, but I just thought, you know what, it'd be better if I can just partner up and you know get a higher fee and, and split it with Austin and Whalen. And, and one of the biggest things, um, from the start in, in terms of going back to the whole mindset thing is I really wanted to be able to give value. And I, you know, both my and, and Austin, you guys have given me so much value. So one of the biggest things that I wanted to be able to do was, Hey, bring you a deal. And it's like, Hey, you can make money off this too. And we can partner up and I'm happy, you know, I'd rather have, half a watermelon than, than a full grape. You know what I mean? So I figured I'd be able to make more money this way. Not only that is I'd be able to bring you an opportunity. And that's kind of why I decided to partner up with you um, on this. And, and you had so much more expertise than me. So I just figured it made sense, right? Yeah. And we, we had faith in that deal, right? For whatever reason, it didn't wholesale at the price that we're looking at. A lot of the investors thought it was too much work. So Waylon and I just paid you a fee and bought it from you. And then we closed it on ourselves. So we're getting that. We already got that appraised. We're getting the appraisal report tomorrow. I just went back and looked at my te text history with Adam because I was like, how the heck did I start like talking to Adam? And like, what, what was their backstory there? And it was literally like, we hopped on a call once randomly. And then I looked at like the chat after that, like, and it's essentially like Adam just like sent me a deal, like out of the blue, it was something that you had in Triplex, like it was on market, but like you knew the seller was just distressed and you were just like, Hey man, like not looking for anything yeah. out of this, but like I can introduce you to the realtor if you want. And like, here's all the details on the property. You just sent me like full details on it. I was like, ah, oh, this guy's pretty legit. That's like, when you make, yeah. That's when you're like, man, like obviously you're going to spend time with this guy because yeah. like he's putting in the work. <laughs> He's adding value to you. So it's like, okay, like, of course, like he doesn't have to do any of these things. Right. So like yeah, yeah. you feel the need 
or not so the need you the, want to help back yeah so for anyone that's i guess i mean don't start just like sending like random people random deals but like the way adam did it like you're actually just genuinely trying to provide value right like i think that's a great way for like anyone that you know wants to change your network wants to get in and get in with like other people that are doing bigger things that you want right if it's a deal that you can't close like you just like like you said you give the cost in them and you're like hey like you know why don't we like partner up on this or whatever it is right like you're providing value one really nice, so. exactly so that was the sturgeon falls one um so what happened after that one so you guys tried wholesaling that it was a bigger project for a lot of investors i, I think i remember this deal i think at that point like people were still kind of like okay sudbury's fine but like I'm sure, it falls to the smaller market. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not willing to touch like these smaller markets. But I think in today's deal, in today's world, like people would be like, yeah, like Sturgeon Falls, like right there between Sudbury and North Bay. Like, <laughs> and the numbers made sense. Ultimately, that's what it comes to. It's a Burr property. Me and Waylon are burring it. Um, yeah. But I guess we'll, we'll skim over because uh, we want to get into your journey a bit more, um, Adam. So you, you wholesaled that deal. And, and where do we go from here? You made it, you made a couple thousand off of that. And, uh, are you, were you sending out millers with it? Or are you going to spend that on buying your first property, which we'll get into as well? Yeah. So that just kind of went to, towards recouping some of my marketing costs and, you know, obviously investing, it put, put down an investment for the coaching as well. Um, so I just kind of put that all into a pot. I have a bank account just completely separate for you know, wholesaling and, and real estate investing, not, not attached to any property or anything like that. But from there, I just kind of kept looking for the next deal. And, and what I really wanted to find was, I wanted to find a buy and hold deal for myself, but I wanted to find something in a good neighborhood. And so looking in Sudbury, I'm sure a lot of your investors or a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with, uh, you know, a lot of the neighborhoods in Sudbury, but, but for any, um, listeners who aren't, um, I, I was really looking in, in the new Sudbury neighborhood and the, uh, middle Lake neighborhood, because those are kind of like B plus neighborhoods you know, still get to find deals, but good quality tenants. And, and I've heard so many horror stories about people investing and, and buying in bad neighborhoods and, and just you're adding risk when you buy in a bad neighborhood. And the reason I decided to start investing in real estate was to mitigate the risk of my investments. So I was really trying to find a deal in, in new Sudbury or Minnow Lake real essentially, or the South end. So I kind of, focus full on on that and, and kept doing the mailer campaigns. I had one deal that I actually got through a mailer that I ended up walking away from because I was too conservative on the numbers. And, and that deal I had locked up for 273. And I was just like, I don't know if this, I don't know if the, uh, the returns are good enough. That that's on that's a common beginner mistake. And I think even Mayu and I have definitely done this before in some past deals is being overly conservative and walking away. But you need to realize that was your worst case, right? Like, cause yeah. When we're when we analyze deals, it's typically worst case, and most cases it pans out better than that. <laughs> yeah. So I was way too conservative in my numbers. I walked away from it. Someone else swooped in and, and and locked it up off market, and it's it's actually on the MLS as a flip right now. It has a conditional offer. I'm not sure what it's sold for, but I think it's going to hurt my soul when I find out. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, so, man. Hindsight's always yeah. twenty twenty, right? Yeah. Like when you look back and you're like, oh, like based on what I see on the market today, like. That would have been a great deal to buy and there's so many of those and like the number of deals that are like that isn't going to decrease it's just going to keep getting more and more right but that's cool man so that was that was a triplex right at 270 i think you told me about this one was it a triplex yeah yeah I, it was okay. oh, good. i know i should have i should have bought it but you know it's okay live and learn yeah okay. deals come and go there's gonna be more right exactly right like i love that mindset deals do come and go and they'll they'll always be more so 
tell us what happened then. So you're, so you're looking for your search, you're analyzing your numbers. Um, how many deals did you analyze before you got into your first property? And we'll talk and then lead into why you decided to buy your first property. Yeah. So I've probably analyzed, I've analyzed over a hundred deals at this point. I, I kind of stopped counting. It would just be like every, every more, anytime I get a lead from a seller analyzed. Right. And then also I spent time analyzing a deal on the MLS just to see what was going on in the market, what things are selling for. And I want to give a quick shout out to my realtor uh, up in Sudbury, Cassandra Beach. She has been like my number one power team member up there. Like there's no way I would have any idea what was going on in the market without her. So if, if any investors are looking to connect with uh, an investor oriented realtor, she's, she's a rock star up there and she's helped me greatly. But uh, I guess where I went from there is I actually did lock up a deal for myself uh, back in May. And it's not a home run deal. But after I learned from that, that one that I walked away from, I was like, I was way too conservative and I burned myself because I had that locked up at 273 and then an identical house sold for 390, like right down the street four days later. I didn't want to make that mistake again. So this, this lead I actually got um, handed to me uh, from another student in Corey's coaching program, Eric Kaloum. He's been, you know, him and I, he lives in Azildo, which is like, probably like 15 minutes from Sudbury and, and him and I would text pretty much every day. We would do our Kijiji ads every day. And, and just about every time we would get a lead from Kijiji, one of us texts each other and be like, did Randy text you or did Joe text you? And we'd be like, oh yeah, he's, he's like, he's just trying to get market value kind of thing. So we were able to, to see the tire kickers pretty quickly. And you know, when, when you're generating leads wholesaling, nine times out of 10, when you get a lead, it's not a motivated seller and you're not going to be able to make a deal work. So you don't want to spend too much time on that, which is something that I learned too early on is I, I would just spend an hour on the phone with unmotivated sellers and just be wasting my time. But just cause like, I'd be like, oh, yeah, maybe I can make a deal happen out of this. But once you start doing it, you sort of learn how to bet them. And, uh, and, and you can still monetize those deals into, you know, providing value for other people. Like one of the things I always do whenever I get an unmotivated seller is I just try to, to find out why don't you want to sell in the market? Okay. But you want full market value for your property. Well, you should really think about listing this on the MLS because you're, you're going to get more money on the MLS. And then I just try to convince them to sell with my realtor. So that's, that's one way to kind of flip those leads into a means of providing value for someone else, basically. Um, and you know, when I do that, then I feel better about asking Cassandra for comp because she's just giving for me and, and not expecting anything in return. So I always try to provide value if I'm, especially if I'm receiving value. But yeah, so this deal is a single family. The seller actually reached out to Eric. Uh, I believe it was through his GGG uh, out of his. Um, but he's not interested. He's, he's got a few more properties under his belt than I do. And he's not interested in single families. He's looking for multis. So he just said, Hey man, like, I know you're looking to new Sudbury. Like this guy's looking to sell, like here's his info. He'd be down to have a chat. And I was like, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And I, I actually ended up locking that deal up, uh, remote. I was in California for work and I, I just negotiated everything over the phone with him and locked in a price. And so, uh, we can get into the numbers too, if you want and locked it up. It's a, it's a single family, locked it up at uh, 230K. Um, market value is around 270. And uh, ARV is going to be around conservatively 320 after after rentals. 
So that's and how much are you plat- like? What's the reno? What what's that scope of work look like? How much is it going to? So here's where I am finding a little bit of challenges here because I'm going through that right now. So it has not been completed by any means. So maybe we shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't uh, be talking about the numbers too much on this deal. But I had budgeted initially. Three twenty is pretty, pretty low for an ARV in New Sudbury, isn't it? Are you being like overly conservative? <laughs> it's a well, it's a semi. So, and it's this, the footprint's a little bit small. I mean, I have comps that are at 350, but I'm trying not to be too optimistic. I'm trying to be more conservative. Yeah. Um, and so like worst case scenario, um, but you know, I, there are similar, there, there are properties similar selling for 270 without rentals and the newly renovated ones are selling anywhere between 300 to 350. So, um, I had budgeted 20 K for rentals cause it was just going to be a lipstick, uh, <laughs> um, renovation but uh there are a couple snags we ran into um i had i didn't walk the property after when i locked it up and so i had you know some boots on the ground up there that walked it for me and the bedrooms are really small like there's no it's it's about an 800 square footprint it's a three bed one bath yeah um and uh upstairs it's just like two tiny bedrooms and one normal size bedroom so that's not ideal. Um, there's not a lot of living space. So not great for like a, you know, a family with kids that are older than toddlers really. But, uh, that was one thing that we ran into. So to, and, uh, the bathroom, which I thought was just going to be a quick cosmetic reno, you know, just paint and, and put some new fixtures on, uh, it pretty much needed to be gutted. Like there was a leak and there's caulking all over the bathtub. So we're just pretty much going to tear out the bathtub, tear everything out and redo it all. And then we're redoing the kitchen completely. That's about an eight grand for the bathroom. The I don't know if I need to get into all the renovations, but it needs a lot more work than, than I initially thought. And it has aluminum wiring as well that I'm trying to make sure that I don't get into any, any troubles with, you know, having to replace that right now. As long as it's up to code ultimately, right? Like exactly. Yeah. Explore pigtailing, which I think I told you about, um, which yes, is a much did, cheaper yeah. alternative. You just do that in all the outlets than like physically stripping it all and replacing it. Um, but that, that's awesome, man. So one thing that I can take away here, Adam, is that you're a very decisive person. I think one of the issues with anyone looking to get into entrepreneurship or investments in general is, is that, um, they're not decisive. They do all of the research they want. And it's like also another word for taking action. But I think decisive is a better descriptive of it is, is that once you hear something and it makes some sort of sense to you, you're decisive. You decisively say, OK, I am going to do this rather than pander and think like, OK, what if this happens? What if that happens? Right. You make decisions. And that's like these series of decisions, ultimately what's going to move you forward. And it's also ultimately what's going to get you to obstacles. But then you make more decisions to overcome those obstacles, right? So you have a phenomenal story um, there, and you should be really proud of yourself on, on what you've accomplished so far. I was just going to add on to the entrepreneurship, but I think it's all just coming down to like kind of leaps of faith, right? Like, so you made a leap of faith to get into real estate. You made a leap of faith to get into coaching. Made a leap of faith on your on your wholesale deal. The one time that you were a little bit like apprehensive and like overly cautious, you know, sure you got burned, right? But you took that as a learning lesson. Now you're taking a leap of faith. And like, I just quickly ran your numbers, like not factoring like holding costs and stuff like that, but you're pretty close to like a full bear. Like maybe you leave like a couple, like five, $10,000 in like renovations. Like no one, like, you know, that that's a really Man, good deal. Five to 10 K 
Like even 20k conservatively is not bad. Like if it's yeah. if it's like oh, okay, there's a 70% chance it's going to be less than 20k, but like if it's 20k, that's not bad. That's how you should run your numbers. Yeah, exactly. And the other the other the only other route that you could do if you didn't want to have a 20k, do you want to put like 20% down and have a 60k down payment? No, right? So you're overall like your returns are going to be much more amplified anyways, right? So I think it's a pretty solid deal. Um and, and honestly that's all within like what is that? Like 4 months of like really like being like hardcore into real estate, like five months, I guess, if you're in May, right? So that's pretty dope, man. Um, so so let's talk about this deal because I, I know you said like the renovation side, like there's some things that didn't pop up that, that popped up that you didn't really expect. Um, you're I, I mean, are you are you working now? Like, how does that work on the financing side? Like, how are you like raising the capital for this? Like, what are you doing? Like, and I, I, you're probably still figuring it out because it hasn't closed yet, but you know, what's your game plan? No, so I feel I feel bad because I kind of threw my step on one of the bus here when she laughed at me. But uh, she's been super supportive for me, so I'm really grateful to have that um, uh, to fall back on. She's got a government job; she's super risk averse. They don't have any other debt aside from their house, um, and she agreed to co-sign on a mortgage with me. So because yeah, because I'm self-employed, it doesn't matter how much income I, I I've earned. Lenders know what's happened to the music. Industry. The second I tell them I work in the live music industry, they're not going to lend anything, right? So, uh, luckily, I have my stepmom Heather to thank. She was able to help me get the borrowing capacity from and to secure, uh, you know, um, traditional financing uh, with Scotia. And so, uh, I've already got the, the mortgages all sorted out. Um, we've got a two point one percent interest rate, thirty year amortization, and so at the purchase price. Um, you know, until we refinance, it's going to be a mortgage payment of six seventy one per month. So, I mean, before refi, it's going to cash flow like crazy. But then, obviously, after you want to refi, so you can pull that capital out, right? So that's kind of where we're at with the numbers there. And then, in terms of sorry, what was the what was the question before? No, just like other hurdles that like you're you're facing now. So it sounds like you've got the mortgage side figured out. Are you using your own capital? Or are you raising capital? I'm yeah, I'm funding it myself. Um, I had I had quite a bit of capital saved up that was still sitting in the stock market um, that I'm pulling out and, and liquidating and, and putting towards this. I've also opened up a couple line of credits that I'm going to use as kind of contingencies for renovations. Uh, I think I said before I had budgeted 20k for renos. I'm already getting into it, looking closer to 40k right now. So just based on that alone, like. That's going to eat into it into the returns a little bit, but I mean it's it's going to be worth it in the long term rather than not not doing that stuff. You know, we're look we were looking. I was looking at framing a bedroom in the basement. I think ultimately decided against it, but we're going to see where we're at once we kind of get the bathroom, the kitchen done, and, and kind of go from there. But um, obviously, trying to renovate strategically as possible, right? It's a it's a it's a rental. So one of my biggest challenges right now is making sure that I don't over renovate and go too hard on things that are not going to generate a return for me. Usually I think like when it's a three bedroom house, like I usually find that the incremental rent that a four bedroom generates, like unless it's going to help your burr, um, not really that significant. Right. So no, it's not worth it. At the end of the day, the amount, it's the amount of money it's going to cost to do that. It's not going to generate a return that, that merits it. But just to go back to kind of what Austin said about you saying I'm super decisive. I've always considered myself a pretty indecisive person, honestly. And I think, you know, a lot of the reason that people are indecisive about taking action is because they're afraid and they're, they're afraid to fail. And they're afraid, like, what if I lose all my money? You know, that was one of the first, like when I started telling my friends I was going to invest in real estate and even investing in coaching, they're like, 
man, you're, you're going to get rinsed. Like these guys are just scammers. Like you're going to lose all your money. And it's like, I mean, if you think that way, then you're never going to take action and you're never going to move forward. The way that I look at it now is that, yeah, I'm putting my money into this now, but if I fail and if I lose a bunch of money, at least I'll learn from it. And, you know, that failure is just going to be a learning experience to get me one step closer to a huge success, you know? And so that's kind of the way that I looked at it. And I think that's what made me force myself to be more decisive and just make decisions because I feel like I spent too much time waiting on the sidelines already and I need to get in. And that, that's sort of why I, I took action. All right, Adam, that's uh, you've had a, you know, a good amount of success to date where you are, I guess you're halfway through like your six months into the year at this point. And I'm sure you, you know, the next six months, it's interesting that like, growth kind of like exponentially takes off. Right. And so that leads us into um, our, our kind of, I don't even know what we call it anymore, wrapping around kind of three questions that we like to ask our guests at the end. So like, Adam, where, you know, what's your goals in real estate five years from now? I'm going to change it up a little bit, but it's just more so like, you know, if you were to break it down to what you want to be doing a year, three years, like five years down the road, like what kind of trajectory are you setting, setting up for yourself or do you want for yourself? Yeah. So my plan right now is to, well, to be completely honest with you, I, I, I do really like my job and uh, with, with the world started starting to open up again, I'm actually heading out on tour next week. So I'm going to be gone on tour for the next two months. So I'm still going to be, you know, managing um, uh, or overseeing the renovations and and um, the leasing of the property from afar. But um, I'm going to be working on finding more some more deals in Sudbury. Um, and then when I get back, I, I will have a lot of time off. So I want to hit the ground running with wholesaling uh, a bit harder and start pivoting into the GTA markets more. Um, I think for myself, I'm going to continue actively buying in Sudbury. I want to get into bigger multifamily units. Um, but it, about five years from now, I'd like to see myself pivoting into investing in the GTA. Um, and I feel like a great gateway into that is to continue buying for myself in Sudbury and, and start wholesaling um, closer to home where I can can you know just drive within an hour to negotiate deals because I find it's so much more effective negotiating in person. So um, Sorry, I'm getting a little bit off topic again, but yeah, five years from now, I want to be investing in the GTA and and into bigger multifamily units. Um, I think uh, I see myself. I, I want to be able to buy a you know single family home for myself in Toronto as a primary res with a backyard and a hot tub. Uh, but that's pretty much, pretty much where I'm looking to be in five years. Second question here is is that if you won ten million dollars and you had seven days to spend it and you cannot spend it all on real estate. Um, what would you, what would you spend it on? You can spend some of it on real estate though, right? Of course. Yeah. Real estate <laughs> show. So we have to, I'd, I'd probably put at least half of it into real estate. Um, you know, I'd probably, uh, one of the big things I'd like to do is, is retire my parents. You know, they work so hard and, you know, I know that they're not living financially free lives right now. And I know that's something that I would like to be able to do because they've provided so much for me. And like to be able to give back to them, um, but yeah, I mean, seven days to spend ten mil—that's that's a short amount of time to spend a lot of money. So I probably have to plan a sick golf trip with my boys around the world. I think that'd be probably the number one thing. Probably just take a couple hundred grand and and go all out, do a sick golf trip for like a month around the world. Um, that that'd probably be where I put the money. I'd probably hire a personal chef, probably 
yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Some of the luxuries, upgrade my lifestyle a little bit, you know, maybe buy a cabin out in BC, you know. <laughs> I don't know. That millionaire lifestyle. MTV exactly, trips lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah, man. Well, man. So, so if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you choose and why? Yeah, so that's a good question. I think if you had asked me that, like, five years ago, I would have a very different answer for you. But I think I've kind of actually met a lot of a lot of people I looked up to when I was younger. And honestly, sometimes when you meet your heroes, it's not it's not what you would have thought it was. Um, but I, I think if I could have dinner with one person dead or alive, it would actually be um, if, if I could go back in time to like 1950, I would have have a conversation with my grandpa when he was my age and just try to to tell him to not be such a workaholic because i think um my grandpa i didn't really know him that well he died when i was four and um you know i, I had a conversation with my grandma where she just said i, I wish that I, I i knew him better because he was always at work and i think that i've always been a bit of a workaholic myself and i definitely get that from my dad who who I know got that from my grandpa because he was my grandpa was just working all the time trying to provide for his family. But when he did that, he didn't have time to spend with them. And you know, when you break it down, time is the most finite asset of all. It's it's you know, money is unlimited, but you only have a certain amount of time. And I think he spent too much time working. He didn't really value his family enough, even though his heart was in the right place. I, I would probably try and go back in time and, and have a conversation with him about that and, and hopefully talk some sense into him. But uh, yeah, sorry. It's a little bit. Uh... <laughs> no, no, I think that's uh, I mean, that's a very honest answer. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And that that's definitely true, right? Like we all do real estate to get our time back and then we get carried away like Mayu and myself where we end up spending more time than needed. But ultimately that's all again to, to do things I mean, to work hard now so that in the future, we don't need to work as hard, right? Um, and a lot of people might lose focus of that as you get further along in their journey. But um, you have a strong anchored why. So that's that's obviously going to guide you to the right place. Anyways, Adam, really appreciate you joining on in today's podcast, sharing your journey thus far. And man, like you're doing a lot of things right right now. And I know it sometimes doesn't always feel that way when you're going through the journey. But like I, I'm sure Mayu and I can both attest like being in that path you're doing a lot of the right things that you need to, to be far into investing. So um, huge round of applause to you. If any other people want to reach out to you, connect with you, learn more about your journey or just shoot the shit, how can they do so? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think the best way to reach me would be just follow my Instagram. Uh, it's at Shoji Properties. It's uh, S-H-O-J-I Properties. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm always posting on there. I'm always uh, happy to connect with people. You know, if you just want to chat or if you have any questions, shoot me a DM. I'm always happy to chat about real estate. And uh, and yeah, you can follow my journey. And I really appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And uh, guys, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, do whatever you can to support the podcast. All of Adam's information is going to be in the show notes below. And until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Take care.